when you stray from your core values, uh, when you violate your integrity, uh, that's probably the biggest mistake that a leader can ever make because once you've violated your integrity, it's very hard to go back and regain that. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction, innovation, and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Major General Carl Horst. General Horst retired from the United States Army in 2013 after more than 37 years of enlisted and commissioned service. During that time, he had the privilege to lead soldiers at every level of the military, at home and around the world, in peacetime and in combat. Upon retirement, he founded KN Horst and Associates LLC that provides consulting support to clients interested in reinforcing ethical behavior and strong, positive leadership attributes. Welcome to the show, General Horst. Well, thanks, Todd. It's good to see you again, and uh, I'm thrilled that we get an opportunity to do this together. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So you were the the, the keynote during last year's MEP Force conference, and how does a how's a retired major general get roped into the world of construction technology? I have friends that uh, have a pension for getting me into trouble. And, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they, they knew that uh, they knew that the MEP Force was meeting in San Antonio. Uh, the theme was stronger together. Um, and we were talking about leadership and they said, you know, you'd probably be a good fit to go to San Antonio and spend some time with those folks. Yeah. And I got to say, having the the backdrop to the Alamo was was pretty cool during one of your talks, one of many talks during the, the conference. But that was awesome. Yeah, we did. We did. The, we did the evening. We did the evening welcome there at the Alamo, brought everybody over to the uh, historic Alamo. And uh, I thought it was a very, very nice venue. I thought the entire program was very well put together. And it was a real uh, honor and privilege for me to be able to participate and be part of it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's dive into to leadership. It's one of okay. my, my favorite topics and there's there's a lot to unpack there for sure. Uh, but let's yeah. kind of define terms first. What does what is, what is good leadership really look like to you in this ever-changing environment of today? Um, you, you know, good leadership, uh, I, I've, I've often said that, uh, I've asked a rhetorical question, why is uh, good leadership decisive to uh, good business? And I said, if you recall from my pitch, I said, uh, good leadership is a glue that holds the organization together. And so um, can you really put your finger on leadership? No, you can see the byproducts of good leadership. Uh, when you see an organization that, that, uh, that functions very well, is hitting on all cylinders, that has a very strong culture, uh, a good team uh, approach to, to doing things, uh, a synergy that exists within the team, a team that communicates with uh, with one another and has high standards, high expectations, and high output. Uh, those are all the manifestations of good leadership. And so, uh, I, I I look at I look at the entire organization, and you can you can do a dipstick test on them uh, by looking at those things and determine whether there's good leadership in place or there's leadership that needs additional assistance, uh, additional focus. Uh, but but leader, good leadership is decisive to good business, and I think it's an imperative. I think leadership is an imperative to success. Mm-hmm. What should the the goal of leader good leadership be for a business? Well, the role of the leader 
um, if you if you look at an organization and you look at the welfare of an organization, if you look at the culture of the organization, those are all the responsibilities of the leader or the leaders. And so uh, a, a, a strong, vibrant, uh, successful organization has got strong, vibrant, innovative leaders that are driving that. Uh, and people want to be part of those kinds of organizations. They sense good leadership, but at the same time, they de- they can detect poor leadership as well. Mm-hmm. And so again, it goes to the it goes to the culture and the viability of an organization. And and where you have a very highly successful organization, you'll find uh, a very strong culture, and you'll find very strong leaders. I mean, you can look at you can look at sports, you can look at business. Um, you know, where, where there is culture, where there is a strong team, there's also strong leaders uh, driving that. Yeah. So one of the interesting dynamics at play here in the construction industry is there's a, there's a whole lot of silos that pop up, whether it's uh, by function. So the GC is a silo from the, the subcontractor, which is a silo from the architect. And they only kind of give each other the the bare minimum legal requirements of their, their contracts. And maybe they don't even like each other all the time, or they're, they're kind of built in this uh, us versus them mentality. How does a, a good leader mm-hmm. step into that kind of adversarial environment and, and create that collaboration? Well, uh, your, your, your use of the term silos is very descriptive. And it's actually one of the things that uh, we in leadership look at in terms of inhibitors of a good organization is and you have when you have silos where people operate. So a lot of times uh, people look at leadership on a on a vertical axis, north and south mm-hmm. um, communications from the top down, from the bottom up. But the real key to success, Todd, uh, particularly when you get into a diverse uh, organization, uh, as we had there at uh, MEP Force, is horizontal integration across the silos. You've got to horizontally integrate each of those um, each of those centers, each of those uh, key contributors uh, to the organization, key contributors to the mission. That's the function of the leader is to create that horizontal integration between those silos. Um, I use as an example uh, the Goldwater Nichols Act of 1986. Uh, there was a time in our military when we all lived within our own silos. I lived in the Army silo. My Air Force compadres lived in their Air Force silo, Navy in their silo, and Marine Corps in their own silo. And so one of the things as we looked, uh, as we looked at the uh, operation in 1983, uh, Urgent Fury into Grenada, uh, what we found was is we had too many silos, and our silos didn't communicate with each other. And what the Congress said was, we've got to do a better job of that. And what they did is they they created the Goldwater-Nichols uh, Act, which forced all of us out of our silos and to one, horizontally integrate with the other silos and and get comfortable being in other people's silos. And so if you look at if you look at uh, from 1983, Goldwater-Nichols 1986 uh, to the invasion of Panama in 1989, uh, what you found was Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines coming together in a constructive way, breaking out of their silos instead of hiding in their silos, putting their arms around each other and leveraging the, 
the pieces, uh, parts, if you will, from each silo to create synergy amongst the services, what we call joint operations, uh, to really, really bring home uh, what we needed to do. So we did it first in 1989. It occurred again in 1990, 1991, when Saddam Hussein invaded uh, Kuwait. And it really came to a crescendo uh, with the 100-hour war when the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines of the United States were able to vanquish the the, uh, fourth largest army in the world in less than 100 hours. Um, Those are are examples of of horizontal integration, creating synergy amongst the silos for an outcome um, for an outcome that 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 was very very successful. That if that's a good example, kind of lays out for you how how that worked at a macro level with the services. You can take that into business. You can take it uh, and look at silos and, and do the same thing. It's a cross fertilization. It's communication. Um, it's knowing what what exists in the other silos and, and how to leverage those uh, to create synergy to accomplish your mission. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So if I can maybe rephrase it, uh, it yep. you can let me know if this is, is fair, is good leadership really pushes people kind of outside of their comfort zones to collaborate mm-hmm. effectively. And uh, they, they, you know, they, they set the the parameters and the, the, the frame of the, how the boundaries, if you will, <laughs> how far you can sure. go, but, Sure. Nudge you outside that comfort zone because that's where the, the growth is really going to happen yep. there. Yep. And so so if you take it in, if, if you take it from the military standpoint, put it into business. So what as an army guy, as an army guy, we had to get real comfortable describing uh, equipment capabilities of uh, the Air Force, of the Navy, of the Marines. Likewise, they had to do the same. And so having that understanding, translate that to business. If you if you go into to MEP force, you know, the the mechanical, electrical, and plumbers. Um, the fact that that they've got to create synergy with what they're doing uh, to be successful in their respective businesses, uh, it, it causes them to have to understand, appreciate, uh, respect, and work with others that are different from them within their, their professional skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big believer in you got to wear the the company Jersey first, yeah. so to speak, yeah. before you go into your function. And I think yep. uh, a lot of times the the heartache <laughs> comes and the people have that backwards. They come in with their limited view and that's the Jersey that they're going to wear instead of seeing the the bigger picture, because what might be good, better for the company may not be totally good for my function, but it's what's good for the company. So in the long run, it's what's good for my function. Uh, but that's, that's a, uh, uh, humility <laughs> that yeah, is well, required there. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and people, people get real parochial, uh, you know, people fall in love with their particular area of expertise, um, and, and, and tend to not appreciate as much as they should other people's area, areas of expertise yeah. and how you bring that to bear, uh, to build a team, uh, to complete a project, to be successful in, in what you're trying to achieve in the end state. Yeah, absolutely. So let's flip this on its head. What's something that people get okay. wrong about being a good leader? What's a, a misconception out there? Yeah. Well, um, let me let me give you an underlying premise, um, and and I think the I think the key to good leadership is living by a set of core values. Um, 
And so uh, if, if you recall from San Antonio, I shared some core values and character traits that I thought were really important. Mm-hmm. Um, integrity, competency, self-discipline, personal courage, selfishness, humility, and here's one, accountability. Um, and so uh, if to, to answer your question of how do leaders get off track, uh, what are the mistakes they make? is if they deviate from their set of core values. And I will tell you on the hierarchy of those seven values, the first one and most important was integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when, when, you, when you stray from your core values, uh, when you violate your integrity, uh, that's probably the biggest mistake that a leader can ever make. Because once you've violated your integrity, it's very hard to go back and regain that. Um, in the eyes of your colleagues, but more importantly, in the eyes of your subordinates uh, that that are looking to you for leadership. Mm. So yeah. the mistakes the mistakes you make is uh, if, if you don't stay true to your your core values. I think another mistake that uh, leaders make is they 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 lose situational awareness. So we can go back to the silo discussion. Um, you know, if you are if you are firmly ensconced in your silo. And you don't have situational awareness of what's going on next to you, left and right, uh, forward and backward. If you lose that situational awareness, uh, you lose your effectiveness as a leader. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, again, it, it's important, the, the horizontal integration uh, of leadership across the silos. Uh, but situational awareness is really, really important for a leader. You have to know... You have to know where you are. You have to know what is happening to your organization. More importantly, you have to know what's not happening inside your organization. And then you've got to have the self-reflection to know what you need to do to get things moving again. Mm. So a couple things that kind of spark in in my mind. First on on the the values, going back there. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. I, I love that you centered it around values and not the... Uh, the person with the fancy title or, you know, that no. anybody can be a leader by representing these, these values and, and pulling people along with you, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I think that that's, that's a big call out. I hear a lot of times of like, Oh, I, I, I can't lead them because I'm not the head of the team. I'm like, well, you, you can still be a, a great role model and representative and be a leader and pull people in the direction that they need to go to and be an, an influencer and, and have, have that influence on on the direction of things, even without the, the it, title. And in time, that title will probably it, come if you do that. <laughs> interesting, interesting. You mentioned that um, I was with uh, I was with a group of friends last night, and um, we we came together and went to a spring baseball game here in Tampa, uh, where the uh, where the Yankees hold uh, spring training, and so we were gathering to go to a ball game, and a couple of these guys. Uh, work in academia, and uh, they have a new president of their organization, and they were ruminating over the fact that the president of the organization is demanding respect from them based on his title and the position he holds within the university. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, what you need to do is you need to remind the president that that respect is not given freely. It's something that has to be earned yeah. Uh, leaders have to earn the respect of their subordinates. Uh, just because you have the title of president, you have a title of CEO, or you have, 
you know, some big title like general, uh, you know, you, you expect that people will, will respect you. And the fact of the matter is, is they'll respect you based on, on how you conduct your business, how you adhere to your core values, uh, how you inspire people to be better at what they're doing than what they thought they could be. It's all of those things that leaders have to do, the intangibles that, uh, that earn respect. And so, um, yeah, you know, just because you got the title doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean you're, you know, and, and you're the top dog doesn't mean you're really the top dog because if people don't respect you and they don't, they don't look at competent, the competency you have, um, you know, you're, you're doomed to failure. Right. Yeah. More than agree. Uh, one of the other areas, uh, that I wanted to dive into, you mentioned, uh, I forget the exact words that, that you use, but you mentioned on having to have to kind of the, that big picture, but also know what is and more importantly, what is not happening in the organization. Mm-hmm. How does uh, a leader, uh, especially uh, kind of a vision casting leader, focus more on the, the strategy? How do they maintain the balance of strategy and really mm-hmm. pushing that, that vision and also kind of going into the weeds and knowing where things are? Yeah, let me let me give you an example. You may remember this from the discussion I had with you all at uh, in San Antonio on situational awareness. I go back to uh, I go back to my example of uh, of Colonel Hal Moore and the Third uh, Squadron, Seventh Cavalry, and the Battle of Yadrang Valley, uh, Vietnam, November fifteenth, nineteen sixty five. Um, Hal Moore was the was the squadron commander. He was the guy in charge of that organization, about 480 troopers uh, mm. uh, that he took into the Yadrang Valley. Um, they got to Yadrang. Uh, the intelligence guys had significantly underestimated uh, the strength of the uh, North Vietnamese uh, that they were fighting there. And so they were outnumbered about five to one. Um, what happened was is Hal Moore's troopers were fighting and dying. Uh, Hal Moore was up on the line with them. Uh, very intense fight uh, and and, and a, a very pitched battle. Hal Moore had the the wherewithal to physically extract himself off of the line, and he went behind a large uh, anthill, and he asked himself several questions: What's happening? What's not happening? what should be happening and what am I doing about it? Um, and so, so from the tactical standpoint in the middle of the fight to withdraw, uh, and, and, and look at it objectively, look at it strategically, uh, is, is the responsibility of a leader. And you have to have, you have to have that, that, that wherewithal to know things aren't going real good right now. Why is that? What's not happening? What what is happening? What's not happening? But more importantly, what needs to be happening? And then the sixty five dollar question is: Is what the heck am I doing about it? And so, after Hal Moore answered those questions, he knew that he needed more artillery. He needed more medevac. He needed more close air support. He needed more ammunition. Um, and he got on the radio and started talking and 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 getting those things that he needed. That ultimately, uh, Todd turned the tide of the battle. Um, it, it it would have it would have ended poorly had Hal Moore not extracted himself out. So, so the leader has to have the wherewithal to understand 
the situation, to have the situational awareness, and then take a step back and say, okay, I got to fix this stuff really fast. Um, and that's the mark of a really, really uh, good leader that can do that. And, it, and yeah. it's, it can be in business as well. Okay. If you're tanking, if your P&L line is tanking and you got people bailing out of your company um, and, and, and you're losing investment, you're, you're, you're not completing uh, projects and stuff according to your timelines, the leader has to say, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. What's not happening? What needs to be happening? How do, am I going to fix it? So, yeah. you know, it's, it's readily transferable over to business when things aren't going so well. And it, and it takes, it, it takes self-reflection of, of, a, of a leader to turn the tide. Bridging the Gap is powered by Graytech Group. As a global BIM and modeling expert, Graytech is dedicated to empowering construction and manufacturing professionals to digitize and industrialize their processes to improve performance and build a sustainable tomorrow. With more than 30 years in the industry, they know how to be your partner in a world where change is the new normal and always strive to enable their customers to gain an increased competitive advantage to model the future. Visit greatech-group.com for more information. Yeah. What I like about that example too, is that, uh, how more was engaged in the fight to begin with. He was, he was not afraid yeah. to get his hands dirty step yeah. one, but then he yeah. had the, the wherewithal, as you said, to step back. And I think both of those skills are, are very needed in a leader to know when to engage, when to get your hands dirty, mm-hmm. when to be on that front line, and then when to mm-hmm. step back and kind of pick your head up and see the, the bigger picture of what's happening as well. You know, it was interesting, um, and it goes back to culture and, and leadership and, uh, and and preparing your team. When um, when Hal Moore took his 480 troopers into uh, LZ X-Ray in the Yadrang Valley, um, he told them, he said, if you trust me, if you believe in me, and if you listen to what I'm asking and telling you to do, I will bring you all home. That's a pretty significant. That's a pretty significant statement to make for guys that are going into combat, where uh, there's a high probability that you could be wounded and or killed in action. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how more from the from the from the, the very beginning uh, said, "I will bring you back." He was the first one off of the helicopters into the LZ, and he was the last man off of the LZ when they departed uh, several days later. Um, they did lose 80, uh, soldiers killed in action. And one of the things that, uh, that he told me was my greatest regret is, is I didn't bring them all home alive. I said, but you brought them all home and you, you brought them back to their fan. Those 80 guys that, that were killed in action, you brought them back. Um, uh, and he said, well, that, that, that was my promise to them. And I had to keep that promise as a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, he was he was in the fray. He was first in, last out, and right right in the middle of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's what good leaders do. Absolutely. Uh, pivoting a, a bit, uh, kind of going back yeah. to to your story. How mm-hmm. how have you been able to adapt your leadership style to keep up with the different generations, different personalities that come and go on your team? Yeah, boy, that's that's a really good question because I was in the army for a really long time, uh, 
Um, and, and so, so the, if, if nothing else, the explosion of technology around us from 1973, when I enlisted to 2013, when I retired, uh, the explosion of technology that, that was provided to solar sailors, airmen, Marines to, to do what we do. So the, the, the first thing you have to do is, uh, is one, you have to realize that things are changing around you. Um, you have to, you have to become competent on all of the new emerging technology in order to be able to understand it, employ it and, and make and leverage the, the fight for you. So it's an educational process. And one of the things that the services do, all of them, is we have very deliberate programs for professional military education um, that keeps us abreast of, uh, of what is coming, uh, the technologies that are out there and how to apply them. Now, the, the next part of it gets really interesting because um, I, I'm, a, I'm a boomer, okay? And so, so after the baby boomers came, um, Gen Z, Gen X, uh, we can just skip over them. Everybody forgets about them anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you have, but you have to understand what, what motivates a boomer is different than what motivates a millennial or a Gen Zer. Um, and so, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you communicate with them? How do, how do they communicate with you? Do you understand what they're saying to you? Not that we speak different languages, but we have different colloquial terms that we get comfortable with based on our our generation. And so, um, the w- one of the key leadership tips is is leaders have to be effective communicators in both verbal and written communication. So you have to be able to you have to be able to to write and speak so that people understand you. And, uh, and and that's very key. And, and, and understanding what's important to different generational groups of soldiers or different generational groups of business people is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go to you go to MEP force and, and you got you got all the 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 young the young entrepreneurial uh, Gen Z millennials that are zigging and zagging and multitasking and, and real comfortable with technology and then you know, a couple of dinosaurs like me wander through and, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, what, what exactly is the technology that you're using? So one of the keys to, the, to, to being competent, being effective as a leader is you, you have to be educated and you got to spend a lot of time studying your profession and you got to spend a lot of time studying the tools of your profession uh, that allow you to be effective and allow you to employ those things. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll not forget, uh, the first time that I would, I met a, a GPS device. Um, it was, dur- it was during, um, it was during the first Gulf war, uh, 1990, 1991. And, uh, GPS was just evolving. And, uh, so they handed me this, this box, uh, and it was a, it was a gen one GPS device. It's like, you got to be kidding me. How does this work? Well, we were in Saudi Arabia and, and we were out in the middle of a desert where it hadn't been mapped. There was, there was no, there was a map, but it was, there were no terrain features. It was just a white sheet of paper because it's hard to map a desert. Yeah. Um, and so the question is, is, well, how the hell do you know where you're at? Um, and they said, well, turn on your little box and they'll tell you where you're at. 
Uh, and so, so in, in 1990, 1991, we had to learn how to use GPS devices to navigate and communicate where we were, uh, but more importantly, to communicate when we needed something like close air support or artillery or those sorts of things. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, it was, it was, we had some training time to get used to it, but, you know, this in this, this influx of technology uh, was new to us. Now you go into the fight and the fact that you would not go with a GPS or some sort of a, a positioning system is unconscionable. Okay. I mean, I, yeah. we wouldn't think of going anywhere without having that technology with us. And so, you know, technology evolves and, and we as leaders, we as, as soldiers, we as businessmen have to evolve with the technology. And I think, you know, you, you, we saw a lot of that at, uh, at MEP force in, uh, in San Antonio with what the, what the electrical engineers were doing, what the mechanical engineers were doing, what the plumbers were doing, um, you know, technology that didn't exist 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And, uh, and, and the youngsters are employing it like it's second nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it reminds me of, uh, a great story that, that you told, uh, uh -huh. I love this period in, in history, but it's uh, of Ernest Shackleton's Antarctica expedition yeah. with the endurance. Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that he did so well was he was highly uh, aware of his situation and was able to pull from his training and his education and uh, adapt in real time to the craziness going on around him and the, the personality breakdowns and hysterics that I'm sure had to be happening when you're trapped well, you in the know, middle of Antarctica. <laughs> well, you know, Shackleton, Shackleton is a wonderful story. It is, it is a story of, of leadership. It is, a, it is a story of leading by example. It is human hardship. It is leading men in extreme harsh conditions um, and keeping them all alive. You know, it was interesting when Shackleton organized his expedition, he put the sign out on the door that said, uh, Men, men wanted for dangerous mission, uh, dark, harsh conditions, probability of success very low, probability of death very high, uh, apply within. Uh, you know, and there, and there were, there, there were 27, <laughs> and there were 20, yeah, there were, there were 27 guys. There were 27 guys that knocked on the door and says, I want to do that. Um, and then there was the one guy that stowed away on the ship that said, that was probably the worst decision I ever made in my life. Uh, but there were twenty eight. There were twenty eight men on the endurance when when they went to Antarctica, and and of course the story, uh, if it's a, it's a fascinating one. But the endurance got caught in the in the ice, and the ice crushed the wooden ship. And Shackleton and his twenty eight guys lived on the Antarctic ice shelf for two years. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, people complain about being in New York during the wintertime, how cold it is. I mean, imagine living in Antarctica out in the open. Yeah. Over a hundred years ago with that. <laughs> over. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and it was, you know, and the thing was, is, is you know, no one came for them because one, no one knew they were there. And two, no one cared because the first world war had just broken out. And so, they were all focused on stuff going on in Europe and no one cared about Shackleton and his crew except Shackleton. Mm -hmm. You know, and he picked, he picked the six best guys. They drug their lifeboats across the, the, uh, the ice and, uh, 
And he left 22 guys at Elephant Island, and he and five other guys got into an open lifeboat and went 800 miles across the ocean in the winter to get help. And, and, it, and it took Shackleton it took Shackleton 128 days to organize a rescue party to go back to Elephant Island and pick up his 22 guys. And when he pulled into the when he pulled into the harbor with the with the rescue team, the 22 guys saw the boat coming and they said Shackleton has come back to save us because he said he would. No one would do that but Shackleton. Yeah. It's an amazing, uh, amazing story. What? So we're 110 years since that time. What yeah. can we take uh, as far as leadership lessons and bring it into the modern day yeah. context? Um, one, one, uh, you you have to be committed to the values that you live with. It would have been very easy for Shackleton to save himself and the other guys and forget about the guys on Elephant Island. Uh, but he didn't. And so, so the first lesson of that is, is, um, is, is commitment to your team, Mm -hmm. commitment to your team as a leader. Um, I'm going to come back and save them. It's like Hal Moore. Uh, I'm going to bring you all back. I'm going to be the last man off the, off the LZ. So Shackleton, um, Shackleton said, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, uh, and, and the extreme hardship. I mean, these are hard men, Todd. Holy moly. In an open, in an open <laughs> lifeboat, 800 miles across the Antarctic Ocean in the wintertime. It sounds terrible to me. It up. <laughs> no, no. I, look, I'm a, I'm a huge wimp. I'd have never survived. I'd have died. I'd have, I'd have died of exposure. Um, but it's that drive. It's that drive, um, that, that code of conduct, that ethos that, that, you build within a team and Shacklin says, I'm coming back to get them. And he told all 22 of those guys on Elephant Island, I'm coming back to get you. And they believed him and he did it. Uh, and so, you know, that, that, that's a story of endurance that, that transcends time. Uh, you know, obviously very harsh conditions and things would be a lot different in 2023 if you're, if you're running a rescue mission, but uh, it was commitment to the team it was the promise that I'm going to take care of you. I'm your leader. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring you all back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same thing that transcends into business. We're going to do this together. We're going to be successful. When things get tough, uh, I'm going to step up and I'm going to help you. Uh, and we as a team are going to succeed. We as a team are going to survive. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of our kind of main currents the, if you will, of the show is around innovation. And I mm-hmm. think Shackleton was very innovative throughout his entire uh, adventure down in, in Antarctica. But uh, what does innovation, what does that mean to you? Um, innovation, innovation means that you've got to take the situation you have and figure out how to be successful. Figure out how to be successful in spite of the hardship, in spite of uh, the, the environmental circumstances, um, you, you have got to press on. Uh, imagine what, the, what Shackleton thought when the ice crushed the endurance and it sank. You know, they were, they were doing kind of sort of okay when they, the, the ship was still there and they could live inside the ship and they had 
they had some heat and they were out of the elements and, and all of that. But when the ice crushed the ship, it's like, holy cow, now what are we going to do? Um, you know, and so so he he innovated by taking stuff off of the ship. What are we going to need to survive on the ice shelf? So they took the canvas from the sails and they took the lifeboats and they took the provisions and they got all the stuff off. He because he knew what was going to happen to the ship. So he used innovation to salvage as much as he possibly could from that ship to allow them to sustain themselves on the ice. And then and then using using the lifeboats as wagons, if you will, and, and placing rollers out. And then they rolled the, these the, the lifeboats across the ice um, and 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 then to take the best of the lifeboats and innovate so that six guys could get in it and make a trip across the ocean. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a master example of innovation to survive, mm-hmm. uh, not just to be successful. Uh, yeah. And so if you take that into business now, you, you, look at, you look at technology that's evolving around us. You know, technology is happening so fast. Look at AI, uh, you know, this, this whole notion of artificial intelligence. Well, how do, how do guys like me uh, that's been around for a long time, uh, you know, that grew up, they grew up in an analog world. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a digital immigrant from the analog world to the digital world. So I've had to innovate. I've had to innovate, you know, how I do business. Um, I think I showed this. I think I took this to uh, San Antonio. You remember, remember me pulling this out? Yeah. 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 Do you go to the workshop? This is, this is my slide rule. This was my computer for my freshman year um, at the military academy in a, in a math and engineering program. Okay, contrast it to this, which is my iPhone. That yeah, a little bit different. Uh, that that well, I mean, look at the look at look at the capabilities. Um, I mean, you tell me how do you, how do you innovate from this to to this? Um, you know, it's that's what you got to do as a leader. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, so how do you accommodate artificial intelligence? How do you accommodate unmanned platforms? How do you uh, accommodate computer-driven uh, programs for mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, plumbing? All, all of the technology that's been infused is all function of innovation uh, by practi- practitioners, but also innovation by leaders to understand what the hell is it that we've got our hands on here? Um, and, and how does it help us do our job better? Yeah. You know, and sure. the thing, you know, and the interesting thing is, you know, where, where the Gen Zers were, are, are so valuable is, is if, is if we can't figure this stuff out, you give it to a Gen Zer or better yet, give it to one of your grandkids, uh, and let them sort it out for you. Um, but I, but I got a real kick out of watching the, 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 the young Gen Z's, um, at, at MEP force that had all of that kid out there that were explaining to the, to the more mature members of the conference, you know, how all this stuff came together. Uh, yeah. you know, it, I got a real kick, I got a real kick out of it. Yeah, for sure. Well, how do people find out more information on what you're doing and connect with you? Um, I, uh, I, I had a website, I took it down, uh, cause I just, I'm, I, I spend a lot of time. So I've, uh, best, best way to reach out to me is, uh, is via email. Uh, 
knhorst, H-O-R-S-T, 1978 at gmail.com. If, uh, if you send me a, uh, if you send me an email, uh, I'll answer you. In fact, while we were talking, the, the phone was ringing. Remember Aggie Matt from, uh, uh, remember Matt the yep. Aggie? Yep. Remember Matt the Aggie That's that right. I dimed out? That's in, right. Yeah. yeah. You got yeah. a, a he good was, call. He, <laughs> he, he was, he was just calling me. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at a stage in life where, um, you know, I was doing, uh, you know, I was doing LinkedIn and I had a website and I had a bunch of stuff and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm throttling back a little bit. Uh, I'm in the pay it forward stage of life right now. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I try to help people out. Uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote common sense leadership. I don't sell it. Send me an email and I'll send you a copy of it. Uh, it's common sense leadership, my 10 leadership tips from a time in the army. But uh, yeah, just send me an email uh, or send me a text message. And uh, if you do, I'll respond. Awesome. Very cool. Well, final question for you. If I could give yes, you sir. all power to innovate one thing at the snap of your fingers, what would you choose to innovate? If I had one thing to innovate, um, I think that, I think there's, I think there's huge huge potential in artificial intelligence but i think you have i think we have to be very careful about how we set the parameters and how we set the the uh, algorithms for artificial intelligence um i think in in business i think in 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 mechanical engineering electrical engineering that uh, ai is is huge i think in in production uh, engineering AI is huge. I think in the Department of Defense, unmanned platforms is huge. So I would spend a lot of time looking at artificial intelligence, uh, not as a competitor, but as an enabler and as a tool to help us be better. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, that AI is going to put us all, all of we carbon life forms out of business because they're, they're going to, they're going to take over. And I said, mm, I don't think that's the case uh, because there's a human dimension that AI can't capture. And that's called emotion. It's called adrenaline. Uh, AI doesn't have emotion. Uh, AI res doesn't, res doesn't take risk because it's not programmed to take risk. Whereas guys like you and I are willing to take risk to help people, to take care of people like Shackleton was willing to take risk uh, the human dimension, the human dimension in my mind will always, always reign supreme. We just need to be able to, to integrate the technology that we have to help us be better leaders, to help us be better humans. Mm -hmm. I love it. Agree with that for sure with AI. Uh, well, General yeah. Horse, thanks so I much. Mean, for... some scary stuff. There's some scary stuff. Yeah. There's yeah, some sure. scary stuff when they put AI into an F-16 and then they fly it against a, a, a carbon life form pilot in the cockpit of an F-16. Do you know who won? Who won? The person? The pilot. Nice. The, the pilot. The pilot beat AI. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know why? Because it's, it's Maverick. Be because he's Maverick. And, and, and when, you get, when you get into the cockpit and you get that endorphin rush and you get that adrenaline rush... Um, of, of flying, flying that airplane, AI doesn't feel that shit. They don't feel it. Okay. And so it just flies the profile that's been given. You and I 
will go into the danger zone, okay, to be successful. I like that tie back in. It was very nicely done. (laughs) Thanks so much for taking the time and and joining us. Uh, This was awesome. There's so much more that we could dive into. We'll have to have you back to to dive into those, but really appreciate it. Todd, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for reaching out to me. Thanks for uh, the opportunity to do this. Thanks to to be able to spend a little bit of time with you again. I thoroughly enjoyed our time together in San Antonio and I hope that uh, somewhere down the road that uh, you you call me and I'll, I'll bring my slide rule. uh, (laughs) It's a deal. It's a deal. (laughs) Help help you guys innovate. Now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. Good leadership pushes people outside of their comfort zone to collaborate effectively, but the secret is to equip and support them throughout the process so they feel empowered rather than abandoned. Second take, as General Horse said, situational awareness is crucial. It's the leader's job to know when to go to the front lines of the fight and get engaged with getting their hands dirty and when they need to take a step back and see the bigger picture. In order to do this well, a leader needs to break down the silos that exist and press on for success. And final take, leadership is about staying true to your values and communicating those effectively to your team. Leaders do not lead by demanding respect to a title. Instead, they inspire others to follow a vision for success and equip their team properly. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Great Tech Group at ASTI.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Great Tech Group production. Copyright Applied Software Great Tech Group 2023.